it should be enough, Lord, that we have life because of you. But you've given us so much more. I mean, troubles and burdens for sure, but you warned us that was coming because of the world we're living in. But my goodness, you've blessed us. We thank you for that. Great things you have done. Got a lot of things left to do. Culminated in eternity with you. We praise you for that. That's our hope, our faith, and our trust. We don't doubt you. We're not afraid of anything, Lord. We're not ashamed. We have no one to blame. Only to praise you through Christ. Amen. You can be seated. Okay, so Warren Greeley and some of his co-workers were doing some construction on a college campus, and they came across a buried power line, and they were pretty sure it was dead, but here's what he writes in Reader's Digest. I suspected it was only an abandoned line, but to be safe, I called a maintenance department and asked for someone to come and identify it. And an electrician arrived pretty quickly, looked at the cable, and assured us that it was dead. Just cut it out of your way, he said. Are you positive there's no danger, I asked. He replied, oh, I'm sure. So I handed him the wire cutters, and I asked him, well, then you, would you cut it for us? He hesitated for a moment, and then with a slight smile said, well, I'm not quite that sure. I don't know what you do with that, but I got a question for you this morning, family. Are you confident that if you died today, you'd go to heaven? Can you clearly articulate that to somebody else? Are you staking your life on that? Because we've been talking now for the, sev- the last several weeks that you and I are not only the light of the world, we're the hope of the world. And if we're the hope of the world, we've got to be able to articulate that clearly to the people who need it. Bob Russell said something 20 years ago in a sermon I'll never forget. He said, to be reasonably confident in the present, you have to have a reasonable hope for the future. Doesn't that make sense? If we're going to be able to get through these times with coronavirus and terrorist stress and all that kind of stuff, we have to have some kind of hope for the future. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Listen, if, if you were on a cruise ship and it got attacked by terrorists, and they made it very clear that they were going to ram this cruise ship into the Miami port and kill as many people as they could. I doubt very seriously if you'd go down and have a buffet dinner and maybe get the entertainment for the evening and spend the next day at the pool. No, you'd be sitting around gloomy and pouting over your impending doom because there wouldn't be any joy left in that cruise. In order to have joy in a cruise, you've got to be assured that you're going to have a safe harbor at the end of it. Paul said, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, then we are of all men most to be pitied. But you got to love what First Peter says. But praise God for giving us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's kept in heaven for you. Family, I've got to remind you, we, don't, we have a living hope. We live with it every day. This is not just something that gets us through a terminal disease in us or one of our family members. This is what we're hoping for. This is what gives us joy. Now, our text this morning is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. I'd like you to pull a blue Bible out. Remember, we're going to get back in the habit of reading Scripture and follow along this morning. You can pull it up on your phone if you want to. And as always, if you need a Bible, take that one with you. Uh, I want to, you know, this is crazy times we're living in. I mean, seriously, we got coronavirus, we got, there's always one of those coming up. You got economic threat around every corner, terrorist attacks. We're living in crazy times. And you and I have, have, we have to have a reasonable hope to the future 
in order to live in these uncertain times. And I think this text reminds us of that in three phrases. Here's the first one, we know. We know, verse 1 says, now we know that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. In other words, we know that when this life's over, we get to go to the next one in heaven. Now, most of you remember that Paul was a tent maker by trade, and so that's why he liked to compare the body to a tent. And, and if you've ever tent camped, I mean, most of you have glampers nowadays, you know, and we, we go in my mother-in-law's glamper. But if you've ever tent camped, which we did when we were younger, then you know that's fun on occasion, but you wouldn't want to live in a tent, not permanently. I mean, they're uncomfortable, they're hot, they're cold, they leak normally. You don't have the amenities that you have in your camper at home. Ken Mitchell and I used to camp a lot when I was younger, and we'd fish and camp. And one time we were over at Turtle Creek, and we were fishing, and it was going to get down in the 20s. So we had one of those white gas catalytic heaters in the tent with us. And about 2 o'clock in the morning, Ken had a nightmare, and he thought the tent was on fire. And he woke up, you talk about adrenaline. He grabbed the front of the tent about where the zipper is and ripped it open. And I woke up and said, you ding-dong head, what are you doing? I call him that occasionally. And he said, the tent's on fire, the tent's on fire. And I said, no, but you're going to wish it was in about 15 minutes. We froze to death the rest of the night. But tents are so, you know, they're so fragile. You put a tent up and you're out in the woods and it starts raining, the wind's blowing, it could collapse or, or get wet. Uh, if you put a tent up in bear country, <laughs> you're taking a chance. So fragile. Angie and I were on our way to Plainfield to see a friend of mine and his wife about four or five years ago, and this kid came around us on a motorcycle about 80 miles an hour, and he wasn't acting goofy, he was just going fast, and as soon as he got around us, he took off down into the ditch, and we found out later his jacket that he had tied around his waist got caught in the back tire, and down he went. Well, I pulled off the side of the road, and I ran down to check on him, and it was too late. I couldn't get a pulse. It was a mess. I'll never forget it. And it was a horrifying reminder that this tent we live in is fragile. can be destroyed so quickly. Verse 2, meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. I mean, let's be honest. Life in the body is going to have a lot of joyful moments. But the older we get, <laughs> the more, there's more burden in the body than there is joy. And we finally get to a stage where we say things like, well, you know, to be perfectly honest, I can't wait to go home. I mean, I heard that from my mom so much the last two years, and she finally got to go. Paul assures us in this passage that the life we have next is so much better than the life we have here. Look at some of the contrast in these verses. This life is earthly, the next one's heavenly. This life's a tent, the next one's a building. This life's mortal, can be destroyed. The next one's indestructible, it's going to be swallowed up by life. This life's full of burdens and groanings, the life to come is full of glory. This life we're living in, we always have a desire, we're always unsatisfied. The next life, everything we ever wanted, complete satisfaction in Christ. In fact, Paul says, hey Christians, I want to tell you something. When this tent of yours is done and you go to be at the Lord, oh let me just put it to you this way, Paul says, no eye has seen no ear is heard. No mind can possibly conceive what God has in store for those who love him. I love the way the message version paraphrases verse 1 and 2. Now, we know that when these bodies of ours are taken down like tents and folded away, they're going to be replaced by resurrected bodies in heaven. God made, not man made, and we'll never have to relocate our tents again. Sometimes we can hardly wait to move, and we cry out in frustration. Compared to what's coming, living conditions around here seem like a, a stopover on an unfurnished shack, and we're tired of it. Love that. 
my uh, buddies that we meet with on Thursday, my preacher's group from around here, West Side and, and Salisbury and Little Cincinnati and Ellsville, we, we were meeting a couple weeks ago and we were talking about what's your favorite sermon illustration of all times? And mine, of course, was a Bob Russell sermon illustration. And it was about uh, a friend of his named Glenn Wheeler. And Glenn's wife had died, Evelyn. And they were talking about it one day. He was a preacher in Ohio. And he said, Bob, I just miss her so much. And he said, it's not the big things. It's the little things. Like he said, I miss on Sunday nights. We always would shut off the lights, lock the doors, and walk out to the car together. She'd slip her arm in mine and whisper in my ear, you're a good man, Glenn Wheeler. He said, oh, if I could just hear that again. You're a good man, Glenn. And he said, I, I miss her cooking. And Bob said, you could look at Glenn and see that he liked her cooking, that she was a good cook. And he said, what I always loved was at the end of a meal, every now and then, she'd say, hold on to your fork, Glenn. The best is yet to come. And he said, oh, my goodness, she could cook desserts. He said, you know, Bob, sometimes at night when I'm in bed alone and I'm holding back the tears, I can almost hear the Lord say, hold on to your fork, Glenn. The best is yet to come. Hold on. The best is yet to come. For while we're in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we don't wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Good stuff. But how, how do we know that, really? I mean, how do we know there's life after? I know we're fascinated with it. I had uh, lunch with Kerry Dillman uh, a few weeks ago. He's doing fine, by the way. You know, I told him we missed him. And uh, he told me that his wife had bought this book called Imagine Heaven. And he said, it's not normally my thing, but he said, this is fascinating. It's documented cases of near-death experiences. And I bought the book. I haven't read it yet. But we're fascinated with that stuff. We have lots of shows about it, TV shows right now like The Good Place and Heaven's For Real and Forever and Miracle Workers and some of the old ones I remember, Field of Dreams and Touched by an Angel and Heaven Can Wait. We're fascinated by that stuff. We're fascinated with... uh, you know, t- talking to dead people and back and forth. That's a big thing these days. I, I, back in the early 2000s, there was a guy by the name, I think his name was Jonathan Edwards. Remember the show Crossing Over? This guy's still at it. He's not on TV anymore, but he claims to be able to talk to dead people. He can get a message from them to you and a message from you to them. We're fascinated by that. By the way, Christians, you, you and I are told to stay away from that, a long way from that. No, no seance stuff, no Ouija boards. We're stay away from that. 218 verses in the scripture, by the way, about that. We're fascinated by psychics. I never have been. I always thought that was a foolish thing because you never read a headline that says psychic hits the lottery or psychic makes it big in Las Vegas. You know, I mean, you'd think if they were psychic, they'd have come to this. But my point is the hope of us as Christians is not based on some kind of speculation. It's based on demonstration. We have a historical fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Over 500 witnesses saw him. We have more credible evidence about the resurrection of Jesus Christ than anything in all of our history books. And Paul says, we know that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building for God kept in heaven from us. Here's the second phrase found in verse 5. We're guaranteed. Now, it's God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit. A guarantee is what's to come. We've been guaranteed what's to come by deposit of the Holy Spirit. Now, our kids here at South Union, they go to Winter Jam and Winterfest and CIY and all those kinds of things. They're pretty expensive, and so we always ask for a deposit. Because, see, if they make a deposit, then we're pretty, we're pretty sure, uh, we're more sure that they're going to follow through. Well, God has given you and I a deposit promising in us to hold on to our forks. The best is yet to come. 
and the deposit, the guarantee is the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And, and I love one of the definitions of the word deposit is engagement ring in the Greek, which is so cool because the church is called the bride of Christ. And, and we're engaged to Jesus, you and I. And one day he's going to come and take us to marry us. And he's so faithful, he's not going to leave any of us at the altar. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, if the Holy Spirit's living in you, he says, then he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through a spirit who lives in you. You and I have a deposit. You say, well, how do I know if the Holy Spirit's in me if I have the deposit? Well, that's a good question. Just, there's several questions you can ask yourself. Number one, have you been faithful to Jesus and obedient to Acts chapter 2, verse 38? People have asked me several times over the years, hey, Cain, can you have the Holy Spirit without being baptized? And I always answer them the same way. I don't know. <laughs> I really don't. But I can tell you one way you can be absolutely certain. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You're faithful to Jesus. You're baptized to him. When you come out of the water, you have the Spirit, whether you feel like it or not. You walk down the aisle after you've been married, whether you feel married or not, you're married. It's a wonderful guarantee of the deposit of the Spirit in you. Another question you can ask is, is the fruit of the Spirit growing in my life? Remember, Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruits. Well, uh, or their fruit, Lori. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, kindness, goodness, and self-control. And if those are growing in your life, then it's pretty good. Uh, indication the Holy Spirit's alive in you and you're growing in him if on the other hand the older you get the more sinful you get the more cantankerous to get the more you give in to the flesh the more of those kind of things then you need to go sit down with the Lord someplace and figure this thing out that's why Paul says test yourself and see if the Spirit of Christ lives in you so you can have that guarantee another good question are you sensitive to spiritual stimulus it sounds a little heady but Paul put it best in 2 Corinthians 2.12. He says, we've not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God. Listen to this. So that we can understand what God has freely given us. The man without the spirit doesn't accept the things that come from the spirit of God because they are foolishness to him. He can't understand because they're from the spirit. I mean, if you've got this person who never wants to go to church, never wants to engage in Bible study, has no desire to read the Word, doesn't like sermons, doesn't like to sing during worship service, never uh, intends to, uh, uh, you know, lift up his prayer life, doesn't like to talk about spiritual things. Pretty good indication the Spirit's quenched in that person, and that's a dangerous place to be. We just talked about that last week. On the other hand, you've got somebody who loves to come to church and they love to be in the Word, and they wish they could have a better prayer life, and they love to talk about spiritual things and sing praises to God on Sunday morning. Pretty good indication the Holy Spirit's alive in you, and that's your deposit, your guarantee. Romans eight sixteen, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children, and if we're children, then we're heirs, join heirs with Christ. Test yourself, you see. And then the third phrase is found in verse 6 through 8. We're confident Therefore, we're confident, and we know that as long as we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. We're confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Paul says we're confident that when we die, we go immediately into God's presence. I, uh, about, I don't know, several years ago, I had my first colonoscopy. And if you've never had one of those, I highly recommend it. It's so much fun. 
But anyway, I was so nervous, and I wasn't about to do it in Bloomington because I know everybody in that department, Penny Arnold and all of them. So Angie, I said, we're going up to Kendrick's in Mooresville. So we went up there, and the gal that took care of me, I worked with their dad for 11 years at IPL. So that didn't work out very well either. But anyway, I was so nervous, and she could tell. And she said, well, Mr. Kane, let me walk you through what we're going to do. I'm going to, you know, get you ready, and then I'm going to give you a little juice, and that'll calm you down, and I could give you a little more juice, and you could stay awake. And It's fascinating. You can watch what we're doing, or I can put you out. I said, are you looking at me? She said, yeah. I said, you pay close attention. I want so much stuff that the next words I hear from you are, here's your coffee, Mr. Kane. And she said, okay, and she did it. But it relaxed me to be talked through what was coming. Now, none of us in here have experienced death, but Jesus has. And so he's given us some indications of what that's going to look like to move us down there so we can relax and see when it's coming. First thing is, there's a gradual deterioration of the body. 2 Corinthians 4.16, outwardly we're wasting away. Now, I know sometimes the body is taken away in some kind of catastrophe, like the motorcycle thing we were talking about. But more often than not, we deteriorate, we waste away. And, and when you start seeing that your body can't do the things it used to, that me, then you realize that God's reminding you that one of these days he's going to fold the tent up and you get to go home with him. When John Quincy Adams was about 80 years old, he was walking down one of the streets in Boston and he had a cane. He was having a hard time walking. A friend came up to him and said, John, how you doing? He said, John Quincy Adams is fine. I said, the tentament that I'm living in, <laughs> the underpinning's starting to give away. The thatch on my roof's about all gone. My windows are so dim I can't hardly see out of them anymore. It, in fact, he said, it wouldn't surprise me at all before the winter's over that I have to move out of this tentament. But as for John Quincy Adams, I'm doing better than ever. The deterioration of the body isn't all a sad business for us as Christians because it's an indication that the tent's going to fold up and we get our heavenly home. And then the next thing, he talks about the departure, verse 8, being absent from our bodies. I mean, you know, I've thought about this so often. There's a sense in which you, you're not really seeing me up here. And I'm looking out there, I'm not really seeing you. Because I'm really spirit, and so are you. And let me tell you what I mean by that. I read one time that every seven years on average, every cell in your body dies. And so that means... Ten years from now, you're not going to be, according to the body, the same person you are today. But you are the same person. And so when you die, your spirit quietly, gently goes home to be with the Lord. It never ceases to exist. You'll always be who you are. Now, unfortunately, I'm in a, I'm in a profession where I've seen that way too often. I've watched way too many people draw their last breath. And you never get used to that. But some of them are really rem are memorable. And one of them is John Daly, and I'm running low on time, so I won't, I won't tell you all about him, but I'll remind you, he's my 11th hour Christian, one of my stories. I, I chased that guy for years. He didn't want anything to do with Jesus. He got prostate cancer, and two weeks before he died, he accepted the Lord. It was wonderful. But anyway, when he died, I was here, but I was still working at IPL, and the family called me. They weren't Christian. They didn't know what to do. I said, Dad's dying, so I left work early, and I went over to his house, and I was around the bed trying to draw the family in. I was praying over, uh, over Ed and, and talking to Ed, and in one of my prayers, he died. It was awesome. It's kind of strange, too, because I've had people fall asleep during my sermons, and I never had anybody die during one of my prayers. I pray with one eye open now, just in case you know what I mean. But the question, where'd he go? Because his body was still there, but Ed was gone. You know, it's kind of like, you, you got a glove, and your hand's in the glove. You take your hand out of the glove, the glove's still there. 
So we got the deterioration of body, you got the departure of the spirit, and the next step is the immediate presence of God. I love this. 2 Corinthians 5, 8, we're confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. There's an unusual epithet or, or, uh, on, a funeral, on a tombstone in Huatupca, Alabama. I found this. It says, it reads like this, Solomon Pease is not here, only the pod. Pease shelled out and went home to God. <laughs> That's it. Listen, for you and I as Christians, there's only two stages, in the body or out of the body. In the body or at home with the Lord. Listen, the Bible doesn't teach anything about soul sleeping or purgatory or reincarnation. You're either in the body or you're at home with the Lord, Paul says. Jesus told the story about Lazarus who died immediately was in the bosom of Abraham. The rich man died too, he said, immediately was in hell. He told the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. You're either in the body or you're with the Lord. Uh, Dr. Herschel Hobbs was a well-known Baptist preacher. His wife was dying of cancer. She was scared, and she said, Honey, what's it going to be like to die? And he said, All my professional training, theological training, pastoral counseling training, and I didn't know how to answer that question. I said, Baby, I don't know, but this much I do know. I'm going to sit on this side and hold your hand on this side of heaven until Jesus comes and gets you on that side. David put it like this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you're with me. And then this one, this one's awesome too. Then we get glorified bodies, resurrected bodies at the second coming. 2 Corinthians 5.3, because then we'll be clothed, we won't be found naked. Now, I take that to understand that when we die, we're not going to spend eternity floating around on clouds with harps as ghosts. When we die, our spirit goes immediately with Jesus, but that's not the end of it. When he comes back, we get new bodies glorified bodies. Amazing. John chapter 5, verse 28. Don't be amazed at this. A time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Now, years ago, people used to laugh at that. They say, how in the world could he pull that off? Got somebody been dead for 200 years. Or how about this one, Cain? How, you know, somebody gets cremated, and they sprinkle their ashes all over the Pacific Ocean. How's he going to do that? But I read just last week a Fox News article that they found a skull of one of the dinosaurs in this country, and it's got a, a completely intact one cell, DNA, completely DNA cell. And they're thinking, theoretically, if they could somehow extract that cell, that they could clone a dinosaur. Jurassic Park stuff. Fascinating. Here, here's my question. If we can believe that a scientist could do that today, and they, they know how to clone... Is it so hard for us to believe that the God who created the dinosaur and the scientist could do the same thing? Listen, I tell you, mystery, we'll not all sleep, but we will be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Yeah, it's coming. Isn't that neat? And the next step, the judgment of our works. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, this is so cool. We make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And the word for judgment seat here in the Greek is the word bima. And it was the term for the platform that they used to hound out awards at the Olympic ceremonies. Here's the good news, Christians. The judgment seat that you and I were going to go to is not the judgment seat of the great right throne of the wicked in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, because our sins have been forgiven, past, present, future. 
So the judgment seat of Christ that you and I go to is an award ceremony. 1 Corinthians 3.13, the fire of judgment will test the quality of each man's work. If what he's built survives, he'll receive his reward. If it's burned up, you know, bad deeds, bad motives, that kind of thing, he'll suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one just escaping the flames. In other words, at the graduation ceremony of Jesus Christ, we all graduate. But some of us are going to graduate with honors, like my mommy and my daddy, Bob Russell. It's going to be a neat thing. And then the final step is our perfection in heaven. You know, the stages of the Christian walk. We're justified at the cross, just as if I never sinned. And then we go through sanctification. We spend our whole life letting the Holy Spirit build us up and put the fruit in our lives. And then the last stage is glorification. That's what we're talking about. We get to go to heaven when we die. I don't think, I think there's a reason why the Bible didn't tell us too much about that. I always loved the story of a little kid. He had a, had a turtle. He loved it so well, so much. And he went in to check on it one morning. He took that lid off the box. And the turtle was kind of blue and on its back. And, of course, he knew what that meant. So he took it in his daddy, and he was teary-eyed. And his dad wanted to cheer him up. He said, son, here's what we'll do. We'll call your friends in this afternoon. We'll get cake and ice cream. We'll have a wake for this turtle, play games, have a party. Oh, that made him feel so good. He said, go get the turtle and we'll get things ready. So he went in and got the turtle, took the lid off the box, and the turtle was running around like nothing was wrong. The kid looked at the turtle, looked up at his dad, looked at the turtle, got thinking about the party, and he said, Dad, let's kill him. <laughs> I, I think sometimes that's why we don't get a real good picture of heaven, because how's the phrase go? If we knew everything was coming, we'd be so heavenly-minded, we'd be no earthly good. So we're just given a picture of what's coming, a new body. I mean, I can't wait for that. Jesus said, the, the Bible says, we don't know yet what we'll be like, but we know we'll be like him. What was he like after resurrection? Well, he made a fire, cooked some fish, ate it. He said, touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones. But we've got some glorious stuff coming. It's all because of this, his broken body and shed blood. That's why we meet here every week. I mean, what he's done for us, my goodness sake. Hold on to your forks, family, because it's coming. It's coming quick. So come up this morning. Take this broken body, this shed blood. Thank him for the assurance you have, the hope that you have, and then tell him, I, I want to live for you now. I want to project this hope. Everybody needs this hope. I mean, they're looking for hope. If you don't have it, man, don't leave without it. Come and talk to me. Thank you.